Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? It's a beautiful Sunday. Glad that you're here. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is the last message in a series entitled Supernatural Unity. I want to take you to the word one more time uh, in this context and, uh, and talk about the unity that is ours in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. About this time last year, uh, the world was still pretty much locked down, and many people were spending more time online, and a number of us, millions of us actually, were watching the travails of a woman that came to be known as the Gorilla Glue Girl. Anybody remember the Gorilla Glue Girl? Uh, It hasn't been that long. Um, The Gorilla Glue Girl uh, became TikTok famous. Uh, She wasn't really a girl. She was a 40-year-old daycare uh, worker, a daycare director. Um, she was going through her morning routine of fixing her hair. She had a signature hairstyle, which really was just hair pulled back in a braided ponytail. But she used this one product that was got to be blasting, got to be glued blasting free spray, I think is the whole name of it. It's a common hairspray, uh, but it's known for its just really incredible lasting hold, you know. And she used the got to be glued blasting free spray every day. But this particular day she was doing her hair and she was out of the got to be and she didn't know what to do. She needed that look. That was her hairstyle. So she decided to try something else. She improvised and she grabbed Gorilla Glue uh, spray adhesive that you can buy at Lowe's. Uh, Gorilla Glue is a very permanent, a very strong adhesive. It's, it's intended for, you know, like building houses, <laughs> for metal, for wood, uh, not really for any other use, but she was kind of in a bind, and so she sprayed her hair with Gorilla Glue spray adhesive. She slicked it back really good, pulled it back in her ponytail, and then the magic happened. It turned to uh, an, an impenetrable helmet. Uh, she could wrap her fingers on it, and it sounded like somebody picking on a marble countertop. I mean, her whole head just turned hard with Gorilla Glue. It was kind of funny at first, so on TikTok, people made fun of her. Like, millions of people started watching her because she'd go on every single day to give an update. And the point is, nothing ever changed. I mean, her, her hair now was just matted down with this incredible permanent coat of glue. Uh, people started laughing at her, and then people began to feel sorry for her. She was suffering. It was terrible. She tried everything. And like I say, every day there was an update on TikTok from, uh, you know, Gorilla Glue Girl. Finally, people around the world started seeing her ideas, you know, how to soften up that glue. And, and, and just so you know, there's nothing to do for that. There's nothing to do. There's no solvent. There's nothing in the world that would melt that incredible helmet of glue on, on that poor woman's head. So finally, she ended up going to California, as the story went. She had a four-hour surgery uh, to, uh, to get that glue softened and removed, and, and it worked. Uh, so she is now glue-free. Uh, she's back on TikTok now. True story. Life is just so great. Uh, she's back on TikTok now selling her own line of hair care products. <laughs> she calls her hair care products, wait for it, forever hair. Forever hair. Yeah. 
but anyway, just something about that, that glue. Uh, the science of adhesion, the science uh, of sticking things together is called zygology, and there really are scientists who study adhesion, who study the way things that stick together. That does involve things like glue, th- things like different kinds of tape. It also involves the science of how flies can just walk right up the wall and across the ceiling. You know, how a gecko can walk upside down, their feet are sticky. That's zygology, what makes things stick together. So if I think about the Gorilla Glue Girl and that impenetrable helmet of glue on her head, as I think about the science of flies and geckos and all the sticky things in the world, I just wonder about the zygology of the church. What is it that would make us stick together? Is there any way to bind us together in such a way as that we are bound for eternity together, working together, fighting together, standing together? What is the zygology of the church? What is the glue of this congregation? And for that, we go to Ephesians chapter 4. I love this passage. Actually, what I love is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. So let's just start there for no other reason other than, man, these are my favorite verses. Seriously. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. I love these verses. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. I just love that. Because when I pray sometimes, I try to pray a big prayer. I know that God is a God who does impossible things. So sometimes I pray to try to pray for impossible things. But typically, I think our problem is not that we pray impossible prayers. I think we don't ever pray big enough. Because we have a God who can do infinitely more than we could even possibly ask or even imagine. I love it. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's chapter 4. Now here's the preaching text. Verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to maintain yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. However... He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors, teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. 
We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Starts right there at the beginning. It is a high calling to be a Christian and you must live a life worthy of Christ. I mean, that's what he says right from the start. I beg you, Paul's speaking here. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Do you even think of yourself as having been called? Does that ever cross your mind? I know that when one of us, when I stepped step before you years ago and said, as a young man, I feel like God is calling me into ministry, you celebrated that with me. We made that special. You ordained me. It was an amazing moment to kneel before you as a congregation, and you came by one by one when I was a very young man, and you laid your hands upon me, ordained me for ministry, set me apart. And so I've been able, because you gave me that gift, I've been able to go through my entire life, uh, 26 years of ministry now with you, with this very strong sense of having been called. I felt that calling, I knew that calling, and when I voiced it in front of you, you affirmed that calling, and, and, and we celebrated that calling, and now I'm walking in that calling through the years with you, and, and I love that, and, and I appreciate the way you've celebrated that with me, and, and the way you've affirmed that with me, but now you understand, right? We're all called. I, I mean, you haven't had your ordination service yet, but I'd lay hands on you right now if it would help you understand, you're called. You are called by God. I am called by God. Paul is speaking to all believers when he says, I beg you, lead a life worthy of your calling. Now, what's he talking about? What does it mean to be called, to be called by God? If you've read the book of Ephesians, Paul's been speaking about it in the most amazing way that God called you. You, before the very foundations of the world, I mean, before God ever stepped out and said, let there be light, before God called into existence all of the things that did not exist, understand, God already had you in his mind. You weren't an afterthought. You weren't some accident of, of, of genetics. Understand, God planned you. He called you from the very foundations of the world. He already dreamed the dream of your life. And because he called you, understand, he made provision for, for the sacrifice of Jesus for, for your sins. He made provision for your salvation. He, he sent the Holy Spirit to prepare the way for you. And, and, and because of the way he's done that for you and done that for me, he brings down all the walls between us. He brings us together into one mighty church. You understand, he's light in your darkness. He's, he's hope in your hopelessness. He's peace in every one of your storms. I mean, think of all the things that God does for you. And this is what I'm saying. God has called you. Your life is special. You, you have a purpose in him. You are called by God. Paul wants you to understand that. I want you to understand that. We're all called by God. All of us called, but by God. Now, understand that the burning heart of Christ is unity. And if Christ controls your heart, it will burn for unity too. It's about unity, this, this great calling that, that is upon my life. It's on your life too. 
I, I recognize that. That I'm not the only one called, and you're not the only one called. He called all of us together. And so understand, what Jesus has done for me, he's done for you too. That means you and I have something very powerful in common. I mean, the spirit that moves within me, I recognize that that's the same spirit that moves within you. You and I have something very, very powerful in common. God called me, and I sense that calling, and, and, and I know that calling, but at the same time, I know he's called you. And so this brings us together with something very powerful. We have the same spirit moving within us. We have the same blood of Jesus coursing through our spiritual veins. It's the same God, the same Lord. It, it's the same spirit. And notice what Paul says. I want you to lead a life worthy of that. I want you to walk worthy of that. What does that mean to walk worthy? I can't be worthy of that. I'm never going to be worthy of what Christ has done for me. It's all grace. And yet at the same time, Paul says, you know, you need to walk worthy of that. That word worthy that Paul uses, it's uh, axios. And it has to do with like a, a balancing scales. You know what I mean? A scales that you would balance. So in other words, you would put all that Christ has done for you on this side. The fact that he called you before the foundations of the world. He sent Jesus to be the Savior, the forgiver of your sins. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower you. Light in, in your darkness. He makes you one with, with all of the other believers. All of these things Christ has done for you. Understand, that goes on one side. And then Paul says, now with your life. You try to live in such a way where that balances out. You try to live in such a way where everything that Christ has done for you is not in vain. Understand? Lead a life worthy of this calling, Paul says. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, Binding yourselves together with peace. It gets right, right straight to the unity. The unity that, that is uh, ours in Christ. It it's, has to do with the fact that the same God who called you is the same God who called me. That what he's done for me, he's done for you. It's the unity that the Spirit brings. Now understand, according to what Paul says here in verse 3, that unity isn't something that we're still waiting for. It's not something that you and I have to create. It's not something that if we really, you know, if if we really strive and work hard, then then we can have unity. No, understand, we're not trying to create something we don't have. We're trying to hang on to something that we don't want to lose. Notice what he says. Make every effort to maintain, to keep yourselves united with, with the Spirit. The Spirit already has given us the unity. It's not a matter of trying to whip some up. It's not a matter of trying to, you know, to, trying to unite ourselves. The Spirit already has done that. So, so this unity of our church, it's a gift that we've already received. Our job now is just to hang on to it and don't lose it. You ever given anybody a gift and then you understand right away they don't appreciate it? Have you ever given anybody a gift, like, like you give your teenager a car, and then a year later that car is just destroyed, and you think, man, why did I give that idiot a car? You know, they don't know how to take care of it. They don't know how to keep it. There was a, 
man on a mission trip in an area where there were no Bibles. And he recognized that the Bible in his hand was worth quite a bit in that culture in, in this particular village. And so the Lord laid his on, on his heart and he gave that Bible away to one of the guys in the village. He gave the Bible away. Now this man now had probably the only Bible within 50, maybe 100 miles. I mean, he, he had a great treasure. It was a Bible, a written Bible. Nobody had Bibles. And so when the man received the Bible, he said, thank you. You know, thank you very much. This is a treasure. I, I, you know, thank you. Thank you. And so then he disappeared. As the mission trip went along, the, the guy watched, and, and this guy kept coming back with his Bible. And every time he came back in, you know, to church with, with this Bible, that, I mean, the only Bible in the whole place, right? The only Bible within miles. And he gave it to him as a gift, but like within days, this Bible was ripped to shreds. It looked like it had just been, you know, trampled by goats. I mean, it, it was really sad to see. This Bible was destroyed. So finally, on one of the days toward the end of the mission, when the missionary wasn't going to be around much longer, he, he went to the man and he said, listen, I, I just want to say that, th that the way you treated this Bible has really broken my heart. I, I gave you this Bible as a gift, and I thought you would appreciate what I'd given you, but obviously you don't know how to handle something as precious as God's Word. The man looked back at him and said, no, you don't understand. This book is precious, this Bible is precious, and and nobody around me has a Bible like this. So when I went home, I gave my father the gospel of John. And I gave my mother the gospel of Mark. And I gave every child in the village a page out of the Psalms. I mean, you understand, this man knew what he had. He knew exactly what he had. He had not destroyed the word. He had honored the word by giving it away. He was tearing out pages to, to give away. You know what I mean? Have you ever had a gift and you understood what you had? You understand how precious it is and how valuable it is? And so you know how to keep it. You know how to maintain it. You, you, you know how to hold on to something that's worth a lot. When I, I was on a mission trip to Haiti several years ago. And at the end of the trip, as they told us, I, I, I took clothes. And then at the end of the trip, I just gave my clothes away. Now, I'm a pastor, and I did a lot of preaching in Haiti, so I actually had, you know, like preacher clothes. I wore a certain tie every day. And so at the end of that trip, it was really amazing. It was a lot of fun to give my shirts and ties away because I'm giving it to the translators who really wanted to dress like that. They wanted to look sharp like that. They didn't have those clothes. It was amazing. I gave a certain tie to a guy that used to, on our trip, this was years ago, they used to call him Mr. President. Because he was this young guy, but he really wanted to go into politics. And he is an amazing young Haitian leader. He really, really is. He's probably going to be president. He's amazing. So I follow this kid now on social media. I watch him. I see him every single week. And it's so much fun to me because I see him when, when, he, when he goes to councils. I see him when he goes to, to young leaders' conferences. This kid is going to go far. This kid is amazing. And this kid is wearing my shirt and tie. I love it. That shirt, will st it, I don't know how in the world he keeps it so white. Because I know I gave it to him probably six years ago. 
I mean, by now, you know, I'd have already dribbled spaghetti sauce all the way down. I mean, it, 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 it wouldn't be, it would look terrible. But I mean, this shirt is still sparkling white. That blue tie I gave him, man, it is sharp. He loves that shirt and tie. He wears that shirt and tie. I love to see how much he loves that shirt and tie. You know what I'm talking about? I'm saying that the Spirit has given us the gift of unity. I mean, this church right here, us together. He's already given it to us. It's the Spirit who makes us one. And that's why Paul says, now, you got to make every effort. In other words, we've been given this great gift, but now you can't take it for granted. You can't just imagine that since the Spirit has given it this, you know, now we don't really have to work hard or make every effort. I mean, Paul is saying it's going to be hard work. It's going to be hard work to keep this gift because I'm telling you, unity is is an amazing thing, but it's also sometimes a very fragile thing. Because it takes all of us, it's, it's all of us, all of our relationships, all of our hurts and all of our habits and all of our hang-ups and all of our bad Sundays and bad hair days, I'm saying, all of that comes together and we really have to make every effort, every kind of effort to stay in fellowship with one another. It's not necessarily an easy thing. Make every effort, Paul says, it's hard work, but, but there's a secret. And the secret is simple. The the secret to maintaining the church's unity is to control your own behavior. Like you can't do anything about everybody else, but you can control you. And I can control me. And Paul says it very simply. Verse 2, always be humble. What's humility? Lots of us think that humility is like if Rod Ellis says, yeah, you know, I say, Rod, you're such a good singer. It's like Rod say, no, I'm not a very good singer. Of course you're a good singer. You know, it's not humility. You know, it's like one of our senior ladies that cooks, you know, like crazy, and they bring in a pecan pie, or like Odell Brown brings one of those hick, you know, hickory nut pies, you know. She brings that in saying, oh my goodness, you know, Odell, you make the best pies. And Odell says, no, I don't. No, I don't. You know, you know. of course she does. It's not humility when you say you're not a very good basketball player. When you are a good basketball player, that's not even being honest, you know? So we think of humility like that. It's just like I always say, no, no, I'm I'm not very good, no, when you are. So that's not really humility. It's not even false humility. That's just dishonesty. I think that humility isn't so much trying to be the lowest or certainly not the greatest, understand that, but humility is just when you're able to take your place among everybody else. In other words, if Rod is humble, Rod is not walking and saying, no, I can't sing, I'm not a very good singer. It's just when somebody else is a good singer, that makes Rod just as excited. It's when Craig Johnson sings and sounds good, makes Rod just as happy as if Rod were to do it and, and, and sound that good himself. You know, it's that ability to simply rejoice in in everybody else and to take your place. I don't have to be above you. I don't have to crawl underneath you. I just know how to take my place in the body of Christ, take my place among everybody else. Now, understand what I'm saying? You just take your place. They say at the foot of the cross, all the ground is level. We just stand right here beside each other and we celebrate one another and we encourage one another. Be humble. Be gentle. Why are we being gentle? Man, we're country people. Country people will survive, you know? Ain't that how it works? But, but no, no, no. 
we all have very tender hearts. I don't care who you are. It, 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 the heart inside your chest is, is tender, and, and it's hard to be vulnerable with each other. And, and in the body of Christ, in any church, as you know, the closer we get, the, the more dangerous it is because the closer you get, let people get to you, the easier it is for them to hurt you. The closer you get, the easier it is for us to bump up against each other in ways that can do some damage. I'm, I'm just telling you, no matter what, you don't take for granted the fact that we have to be gentle with each other because we're handling each other's hearts. Be humble, be gentle, be patient with each other, make allowance for each other's faults. What's that mean? Just factor in, from the beginning, just factor in that people aren't perfect, that people will disappoint you, that they're not always going to agree with you, and that's just going to be okay. Forgive them in advance. I mean, you can do that. You can just forgive in advance. That's what it means to make allowance for each other's faults. I, I, I know that you're not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. You just figure that in from up front, and then we're not surprised when we disappoint each other, because that's going to be part of it. I, I mean, we're going to live life together. We're going to work together for Christ, and we're going to spend our lives together, and we're going to hurt each other and disappoint each other, and you're going to see more and more of my flaws, and I'm going to see more and more of your flaws, and sometimes I'm going to say the wrong thing, and sometimes you're going to say the wrong thing, and then sometimes I'm going to find out that we disagree about something really strongly. That's just what it is. Understand that up front. And just make allowance for that. Just factor that in and get on with the business of loving each other. That, that's what he says. You do all of this because of your love. Man, there's a lot of things you'd probably like to fix about me, but I appreciate the fact that in the meantime, you're just getting on with the business of loving me. And, and that's what I'm going to do for you. I mean, there are lots of ways I wish that I could improve this congregation, but in the meantime, I'm just going to keep on loving this congregation. I love this congregation, don't you? Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Verse 4, for there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. Man, I love that so much. Paul just starts stacking up the, the, the realities of, of Christian unity. You know, I think there, I guess there are about seven here. You know, one God, one Father, one hope, one faith, one baptism. I mean, just stacking them up. The idea here is that there's this, this fundamental oneness when it comes to the gospel. This fundamental oneness, this reality of unity in which Christ has called us. And, and, and so there's just that sense if there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, then how in the world could we be divided? How could we not get along if all of this oneness is fundamental to God himself, the very essence of the gospel? So we are one in the same way. The Spirit makes us to be one. Even though we're different. We've been bumping up against this tension from the very beginning of this series. We're, we're one, we're united, but we're still so different. And for some of us, that's a real struggle. Because we think unity should be sameness, that we should all like the same things, that we should all want the same things, and that's never going to happen. God doesn't define unity in, in, in terms of sameness. 
That's why when we get to heaven and everything is made perfect and all of us are glorified and sanctified and all of those things, we're going to stand before God. And the scripture says that we're going to stand before him every tongue, every tribe, every nation. You understand, we're still going to be different. Different tongues, different tribes, different nations, but standing before the throne praising him with one voice. So understand, this this unity doesn't require that we all become the same in any way. As a matter of fact, uh, our differences are important. This is where Paul goes, and this is how I want you to understand how the unity functions in the body of Christ. However, verse 7, for all of this oneness, God has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the scriptures say he ascended to the heights, led a crowd of captives, gave gifts to his people. Verse 7 and 8 there, it's, it's picturing Christ as like this, this, this conquering captain. This conquering warrior who has gone and come back victorious. And now he brings the spoils of battle and he just gives these spoils away. He gives gifts to his people. That's the picture, the victory in Jesus that, that brings us all of these wonderful things. And these things are the gifts. That's what he says in verse 11. These are the gifts that that Christ gives to the church. If you spend as much time in church as I have by now, you've heard conversation. You've heard lots of talk about spiritual gifts. Some of you who've been around a long time, you've probably taken spiritual gift inventories, you know, to find out what your gift is. And and you always end up banging your head against the wall because it's like you can take all the tests in the world and you still say, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what my gift is. Well, pay attention right here because I love it. Verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Now, after that, you expect a list of talents to come next, right? These are the gifts. Singing, preaching, you know, teaching. I mean, you you want this list of talents. But that's not what you get. In verse 11, Paul says, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, teach you, understand? The gifts aren't talents, the gifts are people. It's the people. When there is a need in the body of Christ, understand, God answers it with a person. The gifts aren't talents. This isn't, you know, Woodburn's got talent like some kind of show. And we're going to put you on stage and we're going to like thumbs up, thumbs down if your talent impresses us. This is not a talent show. It's not any kind of talent, you know, exhibition. It's really not about, you know, you're finding your special gift in in, in that sort of sense. Understand, you are the gift. You are the gift. Each and every one of us is a gift to the body of Christ. You're a gift to this congregation because when there is a need in the body of Christ, God answers it with a person. I mean, it's what God's always done. In the Old Testament, when Israel had a slavery problem, God sent Moses, right? In the Old Testament, when there was a genocide problem, God sent Esther. In Israel, when there was a giant problem, God sent David with his sling, right? And in the world, when there was a sin problem, God sent Jesus. This is how God works. God always answers the need with a person, Always, always with the person. So understand, as a member of Christ's body, you are a gift to the church. All right, this is corny. I never like when somebody does this to me, but I'm going to do it to you. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you are a gift to this church. Do it. Do it. 
I know it's awkward. Do it. You are a gift to this church. You are the Spirit's special answer to some specific need. I'm talking about you. I don't care who you are. You are the Spirit's special answer to some specific need. You are. You are. That's why if we list a, you know, a, a, the long list of talents, we might never get around to what it is that makes you important. Because it's not really a talent competition. It's not whether or not you can sing or preach or, or play the musical song. Understand, you yourself are the gift, and there is sometimes a person who is such a gift to the congregation, and I can't tell you exactly what it is, what gift they bring, but it is a gift. You know, I will put Stephen Ham, he's not here, but, but I miss him. I put Stephen Ham in that, in that category. I don't know what you call his gift exactly. All I know is this is a better church, a stronger church. Because that man's on that pew. He's not here. I really, I really, really miss him. I really love Stephen. Can you not just, I mean, those of you who know Stephen, would you not agree with that? If you had a long list of what the gifts are, I don't know if you'd ever name the, the specific charismata that, that Stephen brings to this congregation, but it's, it is a gift of grace. It, it's, it's just the person. And this is what I'm saying. You are the Spirit's special answer to some specific need. And, and it is specific. And, and that's why you're not exactly in every way like me. And, and, and I'm not like you. And, and we don't see things the same because we really aren't here to fulfill the same function. That's why in all the places where Paul talks about the body of Christ and our gifts, he emphasizes how you can't look at somebody else and say, I don't need you. Because in the body of Christ, we do need each other. We need each other sometimes in ways we can't even begin to ex express. Sometimes in ways we don't even know. You don't always know what you have until it's gone. And, and so you can't ever look at somebody and say, well, you know, I, I don't need you. Or you can't, you can't look at them and say, you know, you should be like me. That's not how any of this works. We are different, and that's by design. That's by design. And, and that is sort of the key to our unity. Understand? It's our gifts, our giftedness that brings us together and binds us together because there's something inside of me that I really need, that, I, that I'm never going to be able to have, and, and God hides that in you. You understand what I'm saying? There, there's something in you, a, a need that you have, and God has hidden that in me. And so we need each other and our differences, our gifts, that actually are the very things that bind us together and bring us together. Does that make sense? It's, that's why the difference is not something we have to try to overcome. The differences are, are the very things we celebrate. I need what you bring into this body. You need what I bring into this body. And we all need everybody else. That's why you can never, ever in your mind think, well, this church would be better off if so-and-so would just leave. You can't say that. You can never say, you know, we don't need her. And at the same time, you can't say, well, listen, you know, this church would probably be better off if I just leave. No. No. Christ has brought us together. Now, it's hard work. That's why Paul says you got to make every effort to hang on to the unity that the Spirit brings because honestly, Unity isn't something that most of us do well with. 
We feel like we get along better with people who are more or less like us. We, we like to get in groups of people who will echo all of the opinions that we already have strongly. I mean, we, we enjoy that, but that's not the unity that the Spirit brings, the supernatural unity that this church runs on like gas, you understand? Therefore, I, prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. You've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to maintain yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. As I said, that unity is a gift. That unity is something that we already have. It's not something we're trying to, you know, to, to generate now with, with a sermon series or with you know, a, a potluck. No, it's a gift we already have received. But understand, at the same time, that there is an experience of this unity that we haven't reached yet. And that's what takes us all the way to the bottom at verse uh, 13. Notice what he says. These are the gifts, verse 11, Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, a body of Christ. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Notice how in, in that little verse right there, you realize that unity leads to maturity and everything else. Everything that Christ wants to do in our congregation, everything that Christ wants to do in our individual lives, all of this continues and, and it works along the way. But the point is, it's the unity that continues to grow. It's the unity that continues to deepen. The, the deeper I grow into Christ, the deeper I, I grow into all of those who belong to Christ. That unity just continues to increase and expand and, and deepen and, and, and get richer and richer and richer until we reach the point where everything that Christ wants to do in us is, is complete. All of his work in us, all of his purposes in our lives, all of it brought to perfect maturity. I, I love it so much. We will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Understand that? That, that maturity, that, that growing in Christ, it, it all goes back to unity. This church will never... This church will never reach spiritual maturity without unity. This church will never see God's purposes accomplished in our lives, in our church, or in the community until we learn how to walk in this unity, to maintain this gift that the Spirit gives. That's why... When we first started talking about Mission One, when we first start talking about what God has for our congregation, the very first place we have to go is unity. It's the first conversation that we have to have. That's why we're having it. Because unity is what leads to everything else. There's work for us to do, and that's what Paul is saying. He's put a part of that work in every one of our hands, and, and we come together to work together. But if we end up fighting each other instead, if we end up getting mad and walking off and, and st stop talking to each other, I mean, if we end up fighting over little things, then we never start accomplishing the big things Christ has for us. It's, it's unity. Everything comes back to unity. 
It's, it's not something we don't have. Understand that. It's, I'm not trying to talk you into accepting something new that, that you've never known. This, this unity is, you, you can't even begin to talk about a Christian life without talking about unity with other Christians. When I was called into Christ, into relationship with Jesus, I was called into relationship with everybody else who belongs to Jesus. And that means man, you and I are you and I are connected, you and I are unified, you and I are one. It's a gift the Spirit gives. We have to fight to maintain that, though. It's, it's a fragile kind of gift. But understand, once we understand the value of unity, and we really learn to walk and live and fight and stand in that unity, it, it's unity that leads us to everything else. Pray with me.